And as we said at the top of the service, thank you so much to those of you who are involved either in baking cakes and all that, preparing stuff for the fair on the green, or actually there um, on the, the day. Just, I mean, just a quick show of hands. Who, who's there sort of, uh, at some stage on the green? Fantastic. Well, thank you. It was really good to see you. I know all the conversations that we've had will bear fruit in all sorts of ways. Uh, so, so thank you. Um, and I, I was there for half the time and then dipped off to St. Paul's um, Cathedral, where there were the ordination of, I think, 51 deacons into the uh, Diocese of London Church of England. And one of those was, um, is, is a guy called Russell Rook, uh, who, with his wife Charlotte, is going to join us uh, here. Charlotte is a um, qualified music, she's a very fa- fantastic musician. She, she teaches the cello, uh, sort of peripatetic, and I think part-time in schools as well. Uh, so she'll be here as a congregation member. And Russell is joining us as um, uh, an MSE, Minister in Secular Employment. We could have another discussion another time about how that is such a radical misnomer. Um, God is over all and in all. I think I just read it there. Jesus Christ over all and in all and through. He holds all things together. It's not like we can religious hat on on a Sunday and then we take it off and go normal in some secular place um, uh, uh, for the rest of the week. So um, I think that was my first question to him. Um, earlier on, I sat down with him. We had a little bit of a chat. So eyes on the screen and you'll get to meet Russell. And then Russell is going to, he's going to talk us a little bit through this idea of partnership. From a, from a theological point of view, is it, he'd want to argue, I think, working in partnerships, that actually this is right at the heart of God. And so um, he's going to just unpack that for a, a sort of seven, eight minutes on the screen. So eyes to the screen. It's so good to have the Reverend Russell Rook. Uh, this is in anticipation. We're filming this before his ordination, which was yesterday. Uh, but Russell, welcome. Really good to have you with us. You have been ordained as a minister in secular employment. What on earth is one of those? Well, yeah, thank you, Tim. It is very strange hearing the name Reverend in in front of my name, and and I suspect anyone who knows me will find that strange. But yes, a minister in secular employment, well, I guess we're going to find out. I mean, it's one of those strange things. Everyone knows what a kind of jobbing vicar is when you're looking after a church and working in a parish. But a minister in secular employment is someone who's ordained to work in a secular space. So it's not that I'm secular. I'm definitely a Christian. uh, But I'm ordained to work in the workplace. And for me, that is is the Westminster Village Parish. I kind of work as a consultant on issues of faith and politics. And so I am being ordained to work in that space, but also to be a blessing, hopefully, to this church and hopefully to learn a lot about ministry through working with the wonderful people of St. Dee's. Amazing. We, we could have a conversation later on about whether the workplace is secular, but that's a conversation for another time. I, I don't like that title, but it's great to have... I like, I like you in that title. <laughs> it's great to have you here. Hey, tell, so where did you... Where were you born? Yeah. And, and, yeah, tell us a bit about where you grew up, who you grew up with. So I, I grew up in Portsmouth on the south coast... I, um, I, uh, I grew up in the Salvation Army. My grandparents were Salvation Army officers. My parents were uh, members of the Salvation Army. And I grew up in a Salvation Army church, but I also went to a cathedral school. So I've always been a bit Salvation Army, a bit Anglican. I always said as a young adult that I was kind of felt a bit more at home as an Anglican, but due to God's sick sense of humor, I'd landed up in the Salvation Army. Um, but I grew up in Pompey and... Um, 
yeah, I, 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 my dream was to be a, a musician. Um, and then um, I managed to mess up all my musical decisions when I was 17. What's the instrument you play? I, I was a trombone player and a conductor. And, so um, Matt, yeah, yeah. We'll, Matt, we'll find room, will we, for, for trombonists <laughs> in, the, in the band? That'll be good. I'm yeah, sure. no, we'll, we'll let Charlotte do the music. But um, uh, yeah, so I, I, yeah, I grew up in the Sally Army. I wanted to be a musician, failed all my music auditions. And then I said to God, look, I'm going to give you a year of my life. I'll work for the Salvation Army full time for a year, as long as I can go back and be a musician thereafter. And um, uh, I thought he'd signed up on this. I signed for it. I thought we'd sort of shaken on this and it was an agreement. And I did my year out and realized maybe God had something else for me me um, but I did get to go to music college eventually which was fun because I met you when I was at music college and I met my wife of, of secondary importance meeting you I met Charlotte my wife at music college um, and so yeah no so I had a, a very short musical career and then retired due to letters from music lovers everywhere can I say it's far more important you met Charlotte than, than me uh, wonderful um, tell us um, then a little bit about what you what, what, what do you do now who do you work for now so I work for a group called the Good Faith Partnership. Over the last sort of, you know, 30 years of my career, I've done lots of different things. I worked for the Salvation Army. I worked in various kind of political roles. I've led charities. I've done all kinds of things. Um, but at the moment, I work for the Good Faith Partnership, which is uh, a social consultancy. And we work, basically, we say we bring different people together to solve difficult problems. And then often I get that the wrong way around and say we bring difficult people together to solve different problems, which is sometimes true as well. <laughs> but by and large, we, we work on issues of religious freedom, on migration, of refugee. I'm doing a lot of work at the moment on the Homes for Ukraine project with the government, resettling Ukrainian refugees here. So we work in areas where there's really big challenges and see if we can bring different groups of people together to come up with a solution. And you'll, you, you also do some work, don't you, during the week with... with I, I do. I work for another minister in secular employment, who is the Reverend Baroness uh, Sherlock. So uh, Maeve is the shadow work and pensions minister in the House of Lords. And um, so, um, yeah, so she is an Anglican priest who works there in Parliament, um, trying to stand up and, and make a difference, particularly in the lives of those people who are, are most impoverished and, and most vulnerable in our society. And I help Maeve a bit in her work in the Lords. So you're kind of you're kind of working, sort of brokering the kind of Christian voice in the political realm, and sort of the political voice in the Christian realm. Yeah, that's that's a very nice way of saying it. I, 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 yeah, I, I, I would love. That's probably what I aspire to do. And on a good day, maybe we get close to that. But um, yeah, I basically we are uh, trying to bring people of faith together to help them to be more politically aware and more effective in changing policy and making a difference. And then we work with politicians to say, do you know what, you've got these faith communities, you've got these churches, you've got these charities who do amazing work. If you spend a bit more time supporting and resourcing them, you might see huge differences in areas where you're struggling to make change happen because politics is difficult and making change happen is difficult. Oh, well now there we are, Russell, because um, this is Partnership Sunday, as, uh, as you'll be aware. So I, I just wonder, it's so providential that you are ordained and joining us here as a church as we look to, to launch the partnership between the church and the charity. Uh, we, we work maybe with some difficult people, difficult situations, uh, hard work we imagine at times, but in order to bring about effective change in this community. And that's what we're longing to see, to, to continue to be a story of blessing uh, in Parsons Green in, in honor of Charlotte Sullivan. Um, so, so partnerships which is kind of at the core of what you're, you're, you're about in your, in your work during the week. What, what's the sort of, what's the theological drive, the impetus behind 
seeking to work in partnership with others? I think it's a, I think it's a very good question because I think all of us find partnership difficult. And the strange thing is when you think about the story of creation, well, partnership should come easily. We are hired, hardwired for partnership. So the climax of the creation story, you know, when God's created the land and the sea and the mountains and the animals and the trees and all the rest is, let us make them, humankind, in our image. So the ultimate partnership, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the partnership which is the Trinity together forever, actually decides to actually partner with men and women with humankind and create a partnership that can take creation which genesis says was good and and very good and turn it into something which god hopes will one day be perfect and so the whole of the bible is is really a story about god trying to partner with human beings to do something with his creation that's fascinating yes of course so so why are partnerships so hard then why is it such hard work well i guess sadly you don't have to read far on into the story to realize that partnerships break down quite a lot. And the Old Testament really is an elongated story of human beings being made to be partners with one another and partners with God and deciding that actually that's, that's hard and it's difficult. And do you know what? I'd rather do something for myself and I'd rather take the easy route and I'd rather be a bit selfish. And so we continually short circuit you know, we're hardwired for partnership, but we short circuit it because actually it's just, it's too much trouble. It's too much hassle. I just want... It's, it's always easy to do it on your own. It right? is. It is. And the Old Testament, you know, Adam and Eve, Cain and Abel, Isaac and Jacob, David and Bathsheba, to a great extent, Israel and Yahweh, Israel and God themselves is a partnership that doesn't work because the human side wants to short circuit the wiring and say, actually, I don't really want to be hardwired for partnership. I want to be hardwired for my own purposes, for my own fun, for my own particular dreams. And so, so all the way through the Old Testament, we see these, this kind of divine plan for partnership breaking down because we're just not up to it. Yeah, that's really interesting. So I guess in that frame of seeing, seeing the sort of biblical narrative in terms of an, an appeal for partnership for which we're wired, how, how, does, how does Jesus fit into that narrative? I mean, I think it's interesting. I mean, I think... If we were God and we were sending Jesus to sort it all out, the last thing we do is say, Jesus, could you sort this out through partnership? Because clearly, you know, we're just not cut out for it, you know. Um, and, And so surely Jesus should just save the world on his own. I mean, he should just get on with it and do it because, you know, what can you and I do? But in actual fact, what we see is that, that Jesus, rather than sort of just doing it his own way, he wants to kind of rewire us. You know, the, the very first public event for Jesus is a wedding. It's the celebration of a partnership. And what does he do directly after that wedding? He starts calling disciples. And he puts this team around him. And right from the beginning, this sense of the very people that messed up creation because they couldn't partner with one another and with God are going to be called by God to help redeem his creation and maybe even perfect it over time. And, and we see it probably most powerfully that, that, that the cost of this for Jesus is that the very partnership which is God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, could break down. In, in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus has a real choice. Do I do what the Father has asked me to do? And yet he says, look, I don't want to do this, but, but not my will, your will. And so we see the Trinity stick together in the most painful moment in human history. And as a result of that, that gives us hope because Jesus dies for us and Jesus rises for us and then Jesus gives us his spirit and suddenly we have that 
partnership with God in a new way. Because of the Holy Spirit in our lives, you and I are as close to the Father as Jesus was as close to the Father. We're as empowered to live as Jesus was empowered to live because the very Spirit that rose in from the dead is in us. And so suddenly, because of the Jesus story, we have a new possibility of not only enjoying partnership with God, but actually living in God, being part of that partnership which is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Wow, that is so exciting, Russ. Thank you. I hadn't thought of the cost. It could, it could so easily have been Jesus doing it his way. Oh, wait, I mean, it, wouldn't, it just wouldn't have happened. We wouldn't have had what the, the legacy that we're standing in today, the Christian legacy that was Charlotte Sullivan that inspired her uh, on, on her death. Uh, Charlotte Sullivan, the, the Bishop of London, went to visit Charlotte Sullivan shortly before her death. And uh, he remarked that she always, she never talked about her money or her wealth, although she was incredibly wealthy. She always asked after the people of the parish. And uh, the most important thing was her relationship with God. She's just making that connection and that partnership. And uh, we want to we wanna sort of e- just extend and live in that story of blessing. It's going to be so exciting to work with you, Russell, here, with uh, all your connections, your experience, uh, and all the passion that you bring. So God bless you in your, your journey uh, you. with Good Faith Partnership and, and all that you're doing in Westminster. God bless you here. Uh, we're really looking forward to welcoming you as part of the team. And thank you so much for your time today. Thank you. That was, that was one take. This was quite impressive. Uh, what I'd love you to do is just turn to the person next to you, in front or behind, and one thing that you got out of what Russell shared about partnership. Just a couple of minutes. One thing that struck you from what he said about partnership. So we're thinking about the partnership between the church here at St. Darnis and the charity that owns the hall next door, actually owns a couple of properties uh, right next door, the two flats, 16 Parsons Green. Uh, it also owns the hall that you might know as Zebedee, with the, the, the nursery school that Sue Gain is the, the head of, who, who comes to this church. So owns a fair amount of, of property, basically bequeathed by Charlotte Sullivan, who died in 1911, lived in Broom Hall, which is kind of um, roughly where the Hurlingham Club is now, and she owned most of um, this part of Fulham, frankly. Uh, there's a pla- that, that plaque there between the two arches is dedicated to her, and she worshipped at this church once it had been built here. Uh, pra- a, a deeply committed Christian. Uh, and, and so uh, kind of we, there's, there's always been the kind of the church and the charity. Um, and I'm, I'm not sure that we've been as good at working together to, to share that, that sort of, or, you know, uh, display that sort of Christian vision to reach as many people in, in partnership. Um, and the, the, fr- the reason why that is and sh- should be a deep frustration to each and every one of us here, who, if you count yourself a Christian, is because every single person is, is made, as Russell was saying there, to, to partner with God, to connect with God, to, to, to be known by God. I was talking to a, a mum who comes to the 9.30 service and she was just feeding her three-year-old boy at tea time. And in between mouthfuls, um, a little boy, as, as children of that age, just, you know, minds growing, inquiring, they do in the, the, at the most unexpected times. She said, mummy, is God real? If we had time, I'd get you back in your goose and say, how would you answer that question <laughs> to a three-year-old? <laughs> or, or a 13-year-old? 
or a 23 or 33 or 43 or 50. Because actually, that question, is God real, is, to use Russell's phrase, is hardwired into every single one of us. All of us are asking that question at some stage. Three-year-olds just ask to get straight out, is God real? Uh, when we get more uh, adult, we've learned all sorts of sophisticated ways to indirectly explore and, and reach for, is God real? And, and, and on the basis that every single person who was on the green yesterday, every single person who walks past this church is, is kind of you know, checking in on that question. Is God real? Can I know him personally? Do, do I have a part to play in his plans and purposes and schemes for, for now and the future and the world that he's made? Is, it, is this real? Given that, that is, that's brewing in each and every one of us, you'd, you'd want people to, to, to come to the church to discover Jesus, the answer. As we said, he, he is in all and over all and through all. He, he is the one who holds all these questions together. I, I, I just remember that chilling story that Philip Yancey tells in his, his book, What's So Amazing About Grace. I don't know if you've read it. It's of a, a girl brought up in a lovely home, but she kind of, teenage years, goes off the rails a bit and goes off the rails a lot. It's, it's a kind of modern-day younger son in the prodigal son story, Luke 15. And she ends up, um, in order to make money to fuel a, fuel a drug habit that has become hers, she's selling her body for sex. Um, and she wakes up in the small hours of one morning, literally lying in the gutter. And she, she kind of yeah, comes to her senses, well, how has it come to this? And in just reaching out to someone for help, the, the person says, well, have you, have you tried the local church? And she says, church? Why, why would I go to church? Church is the last place I'd go to for help. True story, apparently, that, that chilled Philip Yancey and, and inspired, I think, the book, What's So Amazing About God's, God's Grace Reaching Out to Us. And it was one of the things that motivated us to, to do this refurbishment project. Um, again, just, just help me here and be just interesting. How many people remember this church building before we renovated it in 2019? Okay, oh, phew, good. I had a similar show of hands this morning, and I was just alarmed at how many people don't remember what it was like. So you remember what it was like. Do you, do you remember we used to enter through that door there? Because the front here, where everyone walks past, that faces onto the green, looked shut. We had this dark door that just sort of basically screamed, keep out. And it, it, we found it really hard because of our church building to make a kind of connection with the people amongst whom we lived and who walked past us. So I love, although right now it's boarded up, <laughs> but that's just temporary. We're getting the guys in, they're going to fix it. Uh, I love that the, you can glimpse in. I was sitting having a tea with Lucy just on the, on the bench just out there before the service. number of people walking past, all because the, the musicians were rehearsing, and walking past, all sort of just peering in. What's going on? Wow, 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 sounds good. And you can almost see, oh, I wonder, uh, you know. But they, but they don't. I wonder, but they don't. And, and, and we've done so much to make it easier to, to draw, to, to connect people, to invite people in. And yet, there's still this kind of uh, barrier. I remember seeing Lizzie there, she's just a brilliant wordsmith. You know, we were looking for sort of lines to describe how people view the church in general, uh, and possibly ours at the time. Uh, and this, this phrase, a judgmental hunk of brick and mortar Oof. but I think that's not too great an exaggeration of how, how people maybe see the, see the church as this, as this great chunk of wagging finger and, and why would I go there 
It just, it just runs against our, our heart. So, the vision is for church and charity to operate like a funnel. This is where I'm going to invite Laura to come and help me, because um, she's going to kind of draw out the vision as we, as we describe it. Uh, so, the, a funnel has, um, if you imagine a really, really big, generous funnel, it has a really wide mouth or opening, and then it, and then it closes down into to quite a point. So, here's our funnel. And um, where, it, where everything funnels down to is that bit I've just read. Let me just find it again. Paul's um, that amazing hymn, kind of a hymn to Jesus Christ. Uh, God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile to himself all things. Everything makes sense in Jesus Christ. And uh, Colossians 1, 28 and 29, we proclaim him, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. To this end, I strenuously contend with all the energy Christ so powerfully works in me. You see the partnership there. There's us and there's Christ. We, we uh, strenuously contend with all his energy that he gives to us. So that's, that's, that's our, one of our core values. Our first value is that everyone would encounter God through Jesus Christ. So the, 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 the sort of aim of the funnel is to get down to an encounter with Jesus Christ. But people don't, they don't come into the church. It's this judgmental hulk of, 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 of brick and mortar. Why would I go in there? Church, that's the last place I'd go. But, but the hall, before we closed it down, locked down, and then renovated it, the hall was where loads of people in the community went who had no connection with the church and no inkling with God. Yeah, they're, they're miles away. They're up here, miles away from Jesus Christ. And that's fine because they were part of glass door. Or um, maybe they were coming, parents bringing their little ones to a ballet class or to a, um, little kickers or kumon or monkey music or cubs, scouts, brownies, all of those. We had three separate AA groups meeting in the church. Nowhere near Jesus Christ, but coming into the hall. But they didn't make any connection between the activity that really helped them or blessed them or was entertained them in the hall and the church right next door. It's almost as if they were completely separate. So the vision of the partnership is, is to, to bring those two together. So that people through, and basically the, the sort of dynamic down the, down the side is, is the, a sort of gravitational pull of the kingdom of God. So, so how it might work, just there we are, it's been drawn in there, just uh, bringing people into the story of blessing. How it might work is this might be Kamal here. And uh, he comes on to, he, he just needs a bit of help with, with um, debt management and money management. So he goes to a cross-light course that we're running in the hall there. But what he does is he, as he's waiting for it to, to begin, he reads the boards on the side that just tell the history of Charlotte Sullivan and her generosity and her blessing. It's something of her Christian faith. The story of blessing in Parsons Green. He goes, oh, that's interesting. But it's, it's on sort of branded, the font and the color. It's the same font and brand of the church. And there's a little icon there that he just notices, come on, as he walks past, it's on the notice board and, and on the sort of loo doors. And just subtly, discreetly, oh, there's a kind of connection. Crucially, and we'll hear more about this in a minute, he has a chat with the front of house person who, who we used to. We had a front of house, do you remember Patrick and uh, Lauren and Sarah, they've all exercised that role, and they've, they've kind of been based here in the church. But we reckon there's going to be far more flow-through when we open the hall in the hall. So they're probably going to be based there in this wonderful new reception area, um, which is here. 
Those of you, hands up who remembers the hall before it was shut. You are wonderful. You guys are in for such... Your minds are going to be blown when you see what it looks like now. There's a really lovely, swanky open air. And that's, that's the sort of front of house, the sort of reception desk and office. Sorry, Sarah. I see Sarah there now. Sorry, Sarah. Yeah, we, we've upgraded. They will, <laughs> they, will, they will have a little chat. With them. It would not, it's not like they're going to ram the four spiritual laws down through. They're just going to have a lovely chat and just say, oh, yeah, I, I, I work for the church next door. So, oh, interesting. And the pennies will begin to drop. The, the gravitational pull will begin to uh, just draw them down. So, so these events that are not religious or Christian at all that take place out of regular activities, glass door, cross light, stuff with Fulham Foundation, they all take place but they begin to make a connection. So the mid-layer, if that's the sort of widest part of the funnel, in the mid-layer, it might be that Will does um, a series on, on Out of His Mind and Soul Foundation on well-being and mental health, which surely impacts so many people, whether you're religious or not. Well, why don't you come along? But in, in, in just giving some really helpful tips, Will, Will's brilliant on those sort of workshops. He made me mention something about his Christian faith. Or someone comes along, Jess, let's say, and she finds herself sitting next to someone who is a worshipper here. And so they get talking, and Jess has read the boards as well. She's met the front of house. She's beginning to make the connection. She's oh, actually, Jess, it turns out, is a single mum. She's got little kids. What on earth do I do with them on a Wednesday after school? Messy church. So I said, why don't you, front of house, give them a leaflet? Oh, the church next door are doing messy church. Why don't you come along? You, you'd be so welcome. Oh, okay. I like messy. I don't like church, but messy, that's just like my home, I'll be, I'll be right at home. So she comes along, has an amazing time, and gets an invitation to, to, to join with those of us on Sunday. Why don't you come along? Or perhaps she picks up an alpha leaflet, and the gravitational pull of the kingdom brings her into this, this bit here. Maybe it's a slightly different color here, because uh, this is more of the kind of church in partnership with the charity. Up here is charity, down here is church, but it kind of blends and bleeds into one. So the idea is that church and charity together create and, and continue the story of blessing that, that inhabited richly in Charlotte Sullivan's heart. I want to say a little bit more by way of uh, conclusion, just the last bit we do, to say a little bit about Charlotte Sullivan, hopefully to inspire you uh, and us as we take this story forward in the, in the 21st century. But if I just pause there, and uh, have you got your mic? Uh, Laura, thank you so much for our artist. And look at this, oh, what a talent. Quite proud of that, actually. <laughs> My brother vowed to never play Pictionary with me because I'm that bad at drawing, but actually, there I'm it is. That. that is the vision in picture form. Um, Laura, I said, so you've been our director of operations and you are about to be, we just got to sign off one or two things with the PCC, but we, we are about to formally announce you as the partnership director. Yes, very exciting. Yes. Uh, what exactly is that role going to entail? Yeah, so the partnership director role is to work with Tim and the staff team here and the trustees for CAS, the, the charity, um, and, and mostly that will be Mark Younger, the, the chair of trustees. But my role will be to direct um, and to try and just help order and um, give structure to the, the mission and the ministries of the, of the two separately, but also together. Um, so for those of you who maybe don't know what my role is currently as Director of Operations, um, I direct the church's um, operations, so from finance to project management to HR, um, 
comms, sort of just all the logistics really. Um, and as you can probably imagine, there's quite a lot of sort of change management going on at the moment uh, and, and will be for a little while. So that will be my role to kind of direct and, and to sort of lead on, on that strategically and uh, together with obviously the teams on both sides. So yeah, we've taken on Georgie, who is the operations manager, to kind of take a, a, a fair amount of it, manage a fair amount of the churchy stuff. Because mm -hmm. yeah, we, we, we are answerable to the Church of England, but the charity is answerable to the Charity Commission. And actually what we've set up there is a company, so there's, we, we've also answerable to Customs House. We've got various regulatory bodies that we, we need to um, pay attention to. So there is a sense in which we, we manage them separately, but together, which is, that's, that's the sort of essence of your role, isn't it? What's, what are you looking forward to in this new role? Yeah, so I think um, what is different about this role, Tim's just touched on it a little bit, but I've been for, for the last sort of four years directing, but actually doing a lot of the logistics as well. And with George on board particularly, she's going to manage that on a day-to-day -day basis. So I'm really looking forward to having chance to um, review and develop what we do as a church and, of course, as a charity, and therefore then together. Um, just being able to have capacity to look at, yeah, how well are we doing things? How, how can we do them better? Um, what other things, which maybe are new, can we, can we start trying to do? Um, and and just making sure that we're doing that really cohesively um, and obviously for the kingdom of God um, and to bless our community, which we're doing, um, but just, yeah, just to be able to do that more and to really try and empower all of you guys to be a part of that. Um, that's a big part of my role to think about how can we, how can we empower you guys? How can we create opportunities for you to get involved um, and, and do that well? So I'm super excited about that. Uh, now, I mentioned this front of house role. Tell, tell us a bit more about that. It's a fairly crucial role. Yeah, so key. Um, if I wasn't doing this job, I would love to be the front of house. I think it's such an exciting role. Um, so, so the role is, and again, Tim, Tim's already mentioned it slightly, but it's really to be that first port of call when, when hirers come in, when uh, people come in off the street, because it happens a lot, um, and they're just inquiring about our church, our community, the charity, um, to be that first person that, that meets those people with a smile and, um, and just a, an open, arm, uh, open arms. Um, it's, it's quite a practical role, so if, you're, if you like problem solving and um, getting your hands dirty and, and being really mission-minded, then um, it's a great job. Um, it, I think what's so exciting about it is there's so much scope for the person to make it their own role and grow it, develop it, um, and just create or, um, yeah, just create brilliant sense of community within the halls, within the charity, um, and in the wider community, so making great relationships. So, um, yeah, if you, if you do know of anyone, have a think and chat to them. Amazing. And you, you mentioned there, just final question, we, we're looking to, you know, we're doing a lot already, but we're looking to do so much more through this partnership. Mm. Who, who are the kind of people or, or groups that we're looking to to reach and to yeah, so um, there are a number of um, returning hirers who we're so happy are coming back. Um, so the, the sort of little kickers and the Kumon. Um, we've got AA groups in every single day of the week. Um, but we're also hoping to um, 
do more with our current partners as church. So we're, we're hoping to do more with Crosslight. Um, we're hoping to do something with the Fulham Foundation, um, who are a local charity. And we're hoping to be able to do an old person's uh, seated exercises and uh, tea um, and social for those guys. Um, we're looking to um, do more food bank collections um, and, so, and just connect the two a bit more because um, obviously we, we do some of those things as church already, but actually being able to connect with um, the community through the charity, just helping others connect in at sort of this level of the funnel rather than feeling like they have to come in here. Um, yeah, we're just excited about making those connections. So, yeah. yeah, the funnel at its widest is more accessible, isn't it? More, yeah. more appealing yeah. than, than, than narrow down. Amazing. Yeah. Laura, thank you so no much. Let's give her a hand, Laura. Final thing, one of the trustees uh, lives in Fulham and um, has done a lot of research and, and produced this booklet. Sue Pearson, she's called and she's written this booklet. Charlotte Sullivan, The Best Friend We Have, is how someone summed up at her funeral, one of the uh, eulogies, tributes. Uh, they said, Charlotte Sullivan is the best friend we have. Um, she's an extraordinary lady. Um, picture of her there. Uh, she was the niece to Lord Palmerston uh, when she who was, who was prime minister uh, in, in mid-19th century. Um, when she died, she left seven million pounds in her estate, which um, then, back then, and someone, I mean, it's close, close to a million, uh, someone else tagged me all the things you could buy with seven million pounds back then. Um, and, uh, I don't know, sort of, it's like 450,000 cows, and, uh, or, anyway, it's silly. Uh, but she had unbelievable means. Um, and uh, Will was brilliant with the PCC the other night. He, you know, I guess you look at this picture, and there are other illustrations in this book, and she looks a little bit like Queen Victoria, you know, just sort of dressed in black, looking a little bit grumpy um, and, and unhappy. And nothing could be further from the truth. What, what we tend to do is caricature old Victoriana, and that was years, centuries ago. Um, that's not us now. We're fortunate we're sort of free from all that. But, but first of all, Charlotte Sullivan was a woman, who, who did all these things. She was a woman who broke boundaries. She was a woman who pioneered and who envisioned and who wouldn't take no for an answer. As a woman, this is pre-feminist movement and pre the vote for women. Uh, and there she is, bossing life in Fulham. She was um, very wealthy and, and basically upper class. She mixed in the higher circles in, in, in a culture which was much more class-defined. So for her to have even associated with the brickies and the railwaymen and the navvies who lived in the sort of railway cottages, these first cottages here on, on St. Dionys Road, used to be called Rectory Road, they were built um, like sort of barrett homes to house the guys who built the railway. Well, you, you know those kind of... Um, uh, sort of blue-collar workers, if I can put it like that, they were, I quite imagine, potty-mouthed and crude and rough. And actually, Sue, in her book, is, you know, there's, there's times when um, they would interrupt meetings uh, with bawdy behaviour. She's written another book, by the way, just a slight aside, on Parsons Green. And the Duke on the Green, there, were, there was a, a brawl where four people ended up getting murdered um, back in the day in Parsons Green. So everyone thinks, oh, posh, nice Parsons Green. Wasn't always the case. Anyway, that's an aside. Uh, oh, where was I? Oh, that's right, Charlotte Sullivan. So she's meeting with upper, but also connecting with 
the people from a less fortunate, less wealthy, less advantaged background. That's the vision, vision that she had. And she was unbelievably generous. So she gave a big sum of money to, to see this building, but she completely commissioned the hall next door. Uh, she uh, built a, a, a sort of a men's working club for, so that the guys could meet. They didn't have to go just to the alehouses. They could meet to talk and, uh, and just build relationships. She had a real concern for the social well-being uh, and the mental well-being of the people who lived in this area. And, and so, so much of what we have by way of legacy is, is from a radical woman, a, a radical pioneer, someone generous with Christ at the center of her life. And I'd love to encourage you to think not of this or some kind of fusty old Victorian woman. If, if she were here today, she'd be pioneering, she'd be driving us, she'd be, she'd be I, I, I venture to suggest we have, probably haven't done a good enough job to explain or outline the vision that beat in her heart back then. So, so we simply stand in this sort of privileged heritage. We, we inherit this vision, and we are the ones uniquely here at St. E's. We're uniquely called to continue to live out the story of blessing. The, the story kind of begun by Charlotte Sullivan, carried on by heroes like Jenny Whittle and Mark Younger in our day, who, who've, who've done so much work behind the scenes for the charity. And, and we all play our part. We're, we're the ones who are praying, right? Who would be a great front of house? Like someone who'd be a brilliant first person to meet, a first connector, doesn't mind shifting a few chairs and look, looking after the place, kind of uh, owning it as their own uh, to, to invite others in. Who could that be, I wonder? It might be me could be you sitting here. It's God calling you to kind of career change so that you can be part of the story of blessing. Or do you know someone else who is? Uh, or you're praying for the groups that meet in there. Or maybe coming along every now and then, just joining in and being that, that salt or light in, in this part of the funnel, being part of the gravitational pull to point, Jesus, point people to Jesus Christ. There's a role for every single one of us to play. The story of blessing in Parsons Green. So we'd love to pray. Louis, come and join me because we'd love to invite you to pray into this and then we're going to finish with a song or two of worship. But Louis is going to direct us in our prayer. So yeah, we're going to pray in a slightly different way to normal. I'm going to invite you in a moment to turn your chairs around, gather in a group of about three or four and pray together into some of what we've heard um, this evening. So three things I'd love you to pray about in your little group. Um, firstly, would love you to pray into this incredible partnership vision and particularly to ask God to give us revelation, each of us, as to how we could play a part in it. And that might not come right now, but over time, I'm sure he will show each of us how we can be, be a part of this. So would love you to pray into that. Would also love you to pray about the seeds that were sown on Parsons Green yesterday in terms of our conversation, our relationship building, opportunity to chat to people locally and to be um, salt and light as members of the church. So I would love you to pray that God waters those seeds and they flourish. And thirdly, a really particular, specific prayer request that we find the right person to be our new front of house. So I'm going to give you about five minutes um, to pray together. And if you could just gather around with a few people and pray, that would be amazing. <laughs> 